Hello there, this is Terry, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. Now, today I'm chatting with animation director from Guru Studios, Andrew Stramaitis. And I actually met Andrew a few weeks ago at a Taffy job fair. And if you aren't familiar with Taffy, they are the Toronto Animation Arts Festival International, and they put on a lot of great conferences and job fairs for animators. So Andrew was doing this short session there, and I heard him talk about mentorship and developing a feedback loop for animators and the importance that Guru places on that in their culture. So I asked him to come on the podcast and do a chat about his experience with that, and he said yes, which is why we're here today. And before we get into the chat, I just wanted to give you some background about Andrew. So he's been animating since he was a kid, but started his professional career when he went to Seneca College back in the year 2000. Since then, he's gone from junior animator to senior animator, and most recently, animation director for all of Guru Studio. And he's worked on a ton of shows over the years, including Paw Patrol, Ever After High, and the stop-motion show Celebrity Deathmatch. So, Andrew, how are you today? Hi, I'm wonderful. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on the chat here. I'm really excited to be talking to a Toronto local. Yeah. Um, So I always kind of start this off the same way. And that's what inspired you to get into animation and develop your talent in the first place. Well, yeah, that's a that's a very specific story that I've told many times, but I'm happy to tell it any time again. So here we go. Um, I've been making cartoons since I was eight years old, uh, which is probably a lot earlier than most uh, in terms of when they figured out that this is something that they'd be interested in doing. Uh, I remember the exact moment is because, well, first off, the the initial spark uh, of what got me into animation was just the love of cartoons. Um, just the, It was the thing that got me up every morning. I wake up at 5 a.m. every day. I've always been a morning person, and I think it's it's morning cartoons that made me that way. Um, yeah, I just I just fire out of bed, you know, like the Undertaker when he's when he's down and out and just poof, comes to life. And I'm at I'm at a thousand percent energy right when I wake up, and then it just dissipates as the day goes down slowly until I until I crash and burn at night. But yeah, uh, I'd wake up at 5 a.m. every day, no alarm, just can't wait to watch cartoons because the morning lineup was just my favorite thing to do before school. You had uh, I think I think at 5:30 it started, and I think the first show was Rocket Robin Hood. Then it went Mighty Hercules. And then, um, what was after that? I think it was uh, Beetlejuice, Inspector Gadget, Care Bears, Tiny Toons, and then it was it was pretty much time for school at that point. So those shows were what I grew up watching and, and what I was really interested in, um, in pursuing. Once, once I learned what the illusion was, and when you're a kid, you start realizing the illusion in little drips and drabs, like you're a fan of these things and you're watching them as an audience member but after watching so much traditional cell animation after a while you start to realize you know what that character is walking over to that pile of boulders and one of those boulders looks a little bit different something's going to happen with that boulder and uh, you don't really know why but you know something's going to happen with it when you when you get older and you learn the the smoke and mirrors behind it all of course it's cuz you know that's that's a watercolor background and then and then they got like a one cell painted you know rock that they plan on on moving um, but yeah, just those little little exposes of the smoke and mirrors were were interesting. But it was one episode of Care Bears in particular that really just spelled out how animation works and, and what made me just it just blew my mind and made me think, yeah, I got to do this. And that was when uh, there was an episode on Care Bears called "It's Raining, It's Boring," and the episode featured Hugs and Tugs, who were the baby characters in in Care Bears, and they wanted to watch cartoons and uh, 
grumpy bear who was babysitting them was just letting them be occupied with that. But then some kind of one-off gremlin character goes in the TV and disconnects the cables and then <laughs> the, the, the uh, cartoon cuts out. And the, the babies start whining, wah, wah, we want to watch cartoons. Grumpy Bear looks over at them and with a face and an expression that is like so mad at them, because I guess you could get away with such angry expressions on a kid show back in the day. But he had an expression on his face that suggested why don't you make your own damn cartoon? And, you know, of course he didn't, he didn't say that, but uh, he had, he just basically says, why don't you make your own cartoon? And they're like, make one. And he goes, yeah, it's easy. He pulls out a stack of paper and the animated Care Bear does an animation of an animated Care Bear doing a run cycle. He, he rips through it and, you know, just very swiftly with, with, you know, perfect lines and everything. And then he starts rolling the drawings and then you see the, the animated results within the cartoon. And I thought that was just the coolest thing because it was it was so simple the way they explained it is just simply make the next drawing a little bit different and then you make the next one a little bit different. And I'm like, oh, I get it. As an eight-year-old, I'm like, it's just change over time. That's all it is. It's just incrementally little changes. So once I knew that, I knew the illusion, at least the basics of it. And there off I was making little flip books just like that. And uh, then I moved on to more elaborate illusions like, like a, a fenachistoscope. I thought that was really neat, which is kind of, kind of like an old zoetrope type device. Uh, yeah, the, doing then arts and crafts and then started building sets, getting into stop motion by the time I was, you know, 12 to 14. Uh, my aunt, when I was 12, bought me uh, my first uh, animation software. It was called uh, Microsoft Kids Fine Artist. Um, and I yeah. made little little animations with that. And that was basically the, the launching pad to, um, to me getting into this business, yeah. So, so you've been like living and breathing animation since since a very young age. <laughs> yeah, you can see that. You said you said Grumpy Bear had a really angry expression that you can't use anymore in like modern cartoons. Is was it that angry or like? Were, yeah, it's. If you look it up, time. yeah, Care Bears. It's raining. It's boring. I think it's still on YouTube. But yeah, he was like really, really angry at them. And he was Grumpy Bear, so fair yeah. enough. He should be able to carry a grumpy expression, no doubt. But yeah, like these days, um, broadcasters are, are pretty, um, they, they have a watch out for characters being too harsh to one another. So oh, wow. so if a character is upset, that's fine. But if they're like downright angry at the next character and it doesn't feel right for the for the age group or for the moment, then chances are there could be a call saying that it's, it's too harsh for the moment. Interesting. So do you actually work with kind of a, like an editor or somebody who knows the the limits or whatnot of of what cartoons can have in them or it's just kind of like everybody gets a sense and if you get a call you get a call uh the latter for sure it's like you just have to have a sense for it and if you've received one or two calls then it's something you got to look out for for future episodes that's all gotcha interesting well i didn't know that um so how did you actually develop more of a, your professional craft in animation um, versus like you, you tried out a lot of things as a kid with flip books and whatnot, but how did you actually, you know, get your schooling or whatnot? Like, I know you went to Seneca. So was, was yeah. that, is that where you developed your, your, I guess, most of your 2d training? Um, well, uh, my upbringing in my schooling was, was quite unorthodox. I'll, I'll walk you through that. So, uh, immediately so after. Sorry? You got Microsoft uh, Kids, whatever. Yeah, fine <laughs> well, artist. Well, like this, this is you know the most basic of animation software is when you're when you're a kid. Like you, your aunt, my aunt just bought it for me and was like, hey, mess with this. And I was like, yeah, I made 
little little animations with it. It was quite limiting because it wasn't you know an elaborate animation program like like many exist today. But it was good enough to put a drawing and make it move, and and it was fun. Uh, once I got to high school, I started using a program called Deluxe Paint Animation. And I was like one of three people in this school who could really grasp it and, and figure out how to use it. Oh boy, did I ride that uh, through high school because I knew what I wanted to do. At that point, I knew I wanted to be an animator. I understood it was a career and this is what I was going for. So with that goal directly in the forefront of my mind, it was easy to, um, to steer everything towards that. So for example, if I had a book report due for you know the, the Duddy Kravitz, um, I didn't read the book. I'll be honest. At this point, I, I didn't. I, it's a book report, but I didn't read it. Uh, I, I got the years to finally spill the beans on. Yeah, that yeah, report. you got me. Yeah, my English teacher, I'm sure, is listening to this, going, "I knew it." <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so what I did is I would lean on the fact that I knew I wanted to make cartoons. So I basically animated my way through high school. So if I had, for example, a book report on Duddy Kravitz, I may not read and understand the whole gist of the story. Instead, I would get the basics of it and then make a cartoon about it and then a plus because no one else they're like you made this and i was like yeah i animated it all week and they were like wow that's impressive hey like i was like <laughs> so yeah the school wasn't like no no it, was, it wasn't so bureaucratic that it was like no the requisites are a b c and you did not do either uh they were like just like wow that's really impressive um they, and they were really encouraging about uh honing my gift so i was really grateful for that Awesome. So then you went to Seneca. Correct. For that. Yeah. Yeah. I like I'm not I've never I was never even though I was into animation since a very, very young age. Uh, natural drawing skills did not come natural to me. Like I was drawing stick figures and just whatever it was to be funny at the time all through that. I wasn't I wasn't looking to be a very good draftsman or, or draw, you know, perfect forms very well. That wasn't really my bag. I just wanted to tell funny stories quickly and just another episode, another episode, another little short as much as I could. Uh, I just like making stuff fast and, and then move on to the next one. But do everything, you know, voice it and edit it and, and put it out there. That was, that was my bag. So that made it difficult to get into schools because you have to have a certain level of artwork and, and a certain natural drawing talent that you can, uh, you know, uh, rise up levels from. Since I was starting at a pretty low point in that regard, uh, I wasn't accepted into a lot of the major you know, programs like your Sheridans and, and alike. But one uh, at least interview that I got applying out of high school was into Seneca College's postgraduate program. Now, I applied to it. And I didn't even know what postgraduate meant. Uh, so I had to look it up online on the Internet, which was pretty new at the time. It was pretty much invented around when I was... <laughs> navigator was, type of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I put it in on the line and I looked up uh, what does postgraduate means. It means that you have to already, you know, have a certain certificate or, or a certain set of credentials to even get into this program. I only found that out after and I was like, oh, well, I'm not getting in. Uh, so uh, but they they uh, sent me a letter back and I got a call saying uh, uh, we'd still like to meet you. I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know it was a postgraduate program. You're probably not interested. Sorry to waste your time. They were like, no, no, no. The coordinator still wants to meet you. I was like, huh. Interesting. I'm like, my, what do I got to lose? Nothing. So with that attitude, with the nothing to lose attitude, I, I go to the interview and, and I wore literally a band shirt and jeans. And I basically like Will Smith my way through that interview, as, as, as I like to think of it, um, where I, I just I was just myself. I wasn't trying to impress anyone. I was just like just so amazed to be there. And uh, the coordinator, his name was Larry DeFlorio. 
he ended up being the biggest, having the biggest impact on my animation career. He gave me every chance I needed. He let me into that program based on my, my desire to be an animator and knowing how much I loved making cartoons and how much I want to entertain people with them. He let me in based on that. He knew my artwork was enough to snuff, but he knew I had the drive to succeed and that there was, uh, the way he put it was, um, he told me later in life, is uh, you were too destined to fail. And I thought that was the best compliment I've ever received. Yeah. Yeah, nice. But yeah, well, I think that's awesome and, and kind of like random too. You applied for a post-grad coming out of high school. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, so I know in our pre-chat, you said you weren't exactly, you know, the happiest with your work coming out of Sheridan. Um, can you explain? Sorry, that's Seneca, yeah. Or, sorry, I'm going to Sheridan. It's yeah, on my yeah. Mind. Oh, Seneca. <laughs> yeah. While we're on the subject with Sheridan, good for you, by the way. And you're a first year and you've started this whole podcast. I like, I've listened to, you know, several of your episodes. I look at your page. I'm like, wow, look at this go-getter, man. You are making something happen that doesn't exist. Because, yeah, so good on you, man. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> no problem. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I work so, coming out of Seneca, right? Um, yeah. yeah, I wasn't, the problem was, wasn't the instructors, not at all. You should never blame your instructors. They are there to show you the tools and teach you the principles. It's up to you really what you do with them. And what I decided to do with them was not the best ideas because I was too immature at the time and I was too influenced by what everyone else was doing around me. You know, you have a certain idea that you want to do and then you see, oh, this student's doing that and they seem, they're getting a lot of attention because... Uh, the, t the teachers are really digging that, so I should make it more like that. And then you see someone else did X, and you're like, oh, they, they like that too, so I better put some X in there. And then it ends up being this jumbled mess of not something that is genuinely created from the heart, not, not a, a passion project that you want to see brought to life. It's just a collection of things you think that recruiters might want to see, um, you know? Because, like, um, Bingo was, like had just one sort of a... Um, like the Oscar for best animated short. Uh, this is when 3D was really quite new. And I was like, well, that's like really dark and weird. Uh, and that's winning an Oscar. Maybe I should make something dark and weird. But what I, my failure was that I shouldn't have been trying to do what others were doing or influenced by any of that. My advice to anyone who is, who's in their third or fourth year and they're making their film and they're like, what do I make? My advice, and I wish if I could go back, this is what I would base it on is, what was the initial spark that made you love animation in the first place, coupled with what is the exact job you want to get when you're done school? Those two should be your driving factors in deciding what type of film or project to make in your final run uh, at whatever school you're at. So yeah, if I had to do it again, I would have made something that was very much inspired by like Bugs Bunny, Looney Tunes type stuff, because that was the first show I remember truly, truly loving. Uh, and possibly maybe some Care Bears influence since that was the, uh, the, the real spark that maybe understand the illusion. Um, but coupled with, again, the, the specific job you want to do when you get out. Like, why was I, now that I look back, I'm like, why did I bother making a, a weird Tim Burton-y type thing if I want to get a job in kids' cartoons? Like, it doesn't totally add up. So you have to know where exactly you want to end up and then gear your decisions toward that. So you said earlier, like from a very young age, you knew you, this is the career you wanted. You thought about it a lot. But then in Seneca, you it sounds like you were kind of floundering a little bit in, in terms of like choosing a path. Why do you think uh, that happened there? Like what was your what was your kind of motivation for trying out all these different uh, ways of animating or telling stories? 
Well, it, it was, I was floundering in terms of exactly what specific role to do. Like, do I want to go feature? Do I want to go games? Do I want to go this? Because like, there's there's many types of jobs out there, and uh, like a lot of people are uh, like a lot of my peers were all like, I want to work at Industrial Light and Magic, or I want to get to Pixar or all these places. So, if I just said no, no, TV is for me. TV is for me. I want to do series. Then I would have had much more success directly out of school. Instead, I did not get hired directly out of school. The market was much more dry than it is now. Like kids who are graduating now don't understand how lucky they are that there's such an abundance of work out there. I graduated I graduated in a bit of a lull period, but my peers were finding jobs, so clearly there was something I was missing. So it took me a year. I kept working at things. I kept bringing them back to my mentor. He kept critiquing them very, very um, honestly and very bluntly, which I really appreciated. Um, it doesn't do any good to sugarcoat, I find, and that's something I carry with me. Um, when I'm critiquing people's stuff, I'm not brutally honest, but I'm I'm honest and constructive and encouraging. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of, of how I actually got in, uh, it took a year after graduation, and you did, you basically have to prove your way in. Like I had to, you generally have to do an animation test if you're an unproven, you know, uh, student. So really, really killing that first test that you get is is your first way in. So, uh, well, I want to bring it back a little bit. So you said you had a mentor that you worked with for about a year, um, that you got a lot of great feedback. And and how did yeah. you, was that the same person that uh, that you interviewed at Seneca? Absolutely. Or how did that, you get the mentor? Yeah, oh, okay. that was the very same person. His name was Larry DeFlorio. Uh, unfortunately, I found out fairly recently that he died of cancer uh, back in 2015. So he's no longer with us, but uh, I carry his teachings with me and I bestow that upon every student I come across because he he had the mo biggest impact on my career and I want to make sure that that lives on. That's awesome. Well, um, yeah, that's, that's great. And uh, also sorry to hear that. Um, so you had to take an animation test. What exactly did that entail? Because because for different roles, there are different tests. I know, like, for instance, if you want to be a storyboarder, you have to take a storyboard test, which mm -hmm. involves getting the short strip script of a TV show and then basically making the TV show on a storyboard. So what does an animation test entail? Um, it's usually like a rough, it's usually like a five second clip or so, a one character acting piece uh, using the characters that are actually in the show that you're going to be working on. That's usually the case. Sometimes uh, they might have, you know, like a practice dummy type character, like just a, a student rig the, that they might have you practice with. But generally, it'll be the actual characters of the show. And just to make sure that you can actually do the style of the show in an efficient amount of time and prove yourself there. Uh, from, from my experience, it was a bit different where no one was asking me to animate anything specific. Uh, I was I was called in and put into a room. Where, now, this is a stop motion studio. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. So I was called into Cup of Coffee Studios, which uh, was it was a studio at the time. They called me in, and uh, this very nice lady set me up with uh, a set and a puppet, and said, "Okay, just animate whatever you want." And I'm like, "Really, anything? No, no specifics, no anything?" She was like, "Nope, just want to see what you what you come up with." I was like, "Alrighty." So I looked around the studio, and I'm like, "What can I make up here?" So I found a, a clothes peg underneath the set. So I thought, okay, I'll use this for a prop. I plunked it on the set. And then uh, when I was digging for other stuff, I found another puppet all dusty under this set. It looked like it was maybe half broken. But I'm like, all right, I'll, let's make it a two-character piece rather, rather than a one. 
so I had a, this is a show called Jojo Circus. I had Jojo the clown and uh, her friend, I forget his name, was a Skeeter, I think. Anyway, uh, so I had them beside each other and I put the clothes peg in between them. The clothes peg I rigged to make it look like sort of a bear trap. I kind of just propped it open. And then I had Jojo point at the at Skeeter and then point at the bear trap and go, you. Eh. So it was all pantomime, no, no dialogue. The characters didn't have movable faces because that was all done in post. Like their blinks and their sync was all done in post. So it's basically just like a, like a, a marionette that you're moving around, essentially. Um, and anyway, so I had Jojo point at the at the clothes peg and then point at her friend and go, you, as if to say, put your hand in there. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. She goes, eh, eh, do it. He's like, no, no, no. And then she like folds her arms, like do it. And then he goes, Ugh. and you can't see me right now, but, uh, but I'm pinching my nose and doing a big sigh. He's like, okay, I'll put my hand in it. And then he reaches, pulls back, reaches, pulls back, and then finally puts his hand in it and then snap. And then, ah, you know, did a big kind of cartoony take, like like it was really painful, and I thought that that was funny. Um, the the quality was not great, but I think what I impressed them with was the the amount that I shot uh, in one sitting. I shot somewhere between twenty and thirty seconds, which is usually like a week's worth of work. But since I didn't have a quality barrier or a quality bar, I just kept firing off frames. And and like I said, my whole upbringing was telling stories quickly and efficiently. So I used speed as my asset to go. Look what I can do. And it wasn't a disaster in terms of quality. I remember exactly what she said. She's like, it's a little bit choppy, but boy, you did a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> they called me back and, and I got the job to uh, to finish off the last few episodes of what was Fisher Price's Little People, uh, a stop motion show. And it was really cute and it was a good first show to start off with. But what that led to um, my next gig, which was when I was, I, sometimes your puppet breaks on set, so you go to the puppets department to get it fixed, right? I take my little people over to get it fixed in the puppets department, and I notice a very different looking character that someone's sanding the head of, and it looks like like a, a pretty realistic, you know, human proportion character. And I was like, what's that? What are you working on? Who's that? And she goes, oh, this is a Tony Hawk. And I'm like, we're doing a Tony Hawk show? And she goes, no, it's for Celebrity Deathmatch. I go, we're doing celebrity deathmatch. I was like, my mind was bugging out, you know, because like I saw it a couple times on MTV when I went to Florida when I was 15, and I was like, oh, I'm like, no way. Is there a, is there any chance in the world I'm gonna work on this? I like ran up to to the producer, like beating down the door. I'm like, I gotta be on deathmatch. I gotta be on deathmatch. And then sure enough, the, the that excitement will get you where you need to be, I guess, because I, I did two seasons of it, and that was so much fun. That's I love, awesome. Yeah, I love like cartoon violence, especially in a, in a claymation type, you know, playful setting. It was it was awesome. So far, I've learned that uh, Grumpy Bear had an angry expression you can't use anymore. You love cartoon <laughs> violence, and you get a call when you use too much of it nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Um, so can you just give like an overview, maybe a Cole's notes of your career from starting in stop motion, which is very different from the animation director role you have at Guru Studios now? Can you kind of do the Cole's notes of what happened in between? Yeah, sure. Um, I I basically had two. I've only ever worked at two places. I worked at Cup of Coffee, and I might still be there today if it if it was still functioning. But I worked at Cup of Coffee, and I and then Guru. When Cup of Coffee stopped, when they ran out of work, and there was the the longest lull ever, then I moved on to Guru. At both places that I've worked at, I went from junior animator to senior animator to lead to animation director. So I did that at Cup of first, uh, and I got there through just Again, overall drive and, and grit and organization and the desire to make a whole 
production efficient. Like again, I just like telling stories fast and efficient. So that was that was my bag, and uh, I I thought I did really quite well. I had a very good mentor there uh, at Cup of Coffee. His name was Alex Gorlick, and he he showed me the ropes basically, and showed me how you can cheat angles and set up a shot that it works even with limited props. He was really great, and uh, I learned how to be an animation director first and foremost there. Uh, it's a very, very different job being an animation director in stop motion versus in CG. Um, first of all, the mobility. You're walking 10 kilometers a day all within one building with a clipboard and a walkie-talkie running around like, set 13 needs this, and, and this animator needs this. Need lighting to set 15, you know, all that stuff. So it, it's, a, it's a really mobile job, whereas my job now is, is, is more desk work, but I try to stay active as much as possible. So the animation direction job at Cup of Coffee gave me the credentials to say, hey, maybe I can do that in CG. So, but I got you got to earn your ropes first. You can't just up and just go, oh, I, I did this medium. I can just hop in and do this one. No, you have to earn your stripes. So I started out as a junior animator at Guru Studio once once Cup of wrapped up. Went to Guru as a junior animator on um, the Backyardigans. That was that was one of our first series that we've ever did here. And from there, I, I, I did one sequence that involved a sword fight that got me a lot of accolades because, again, I like, I like doing fight sequences and, and things like that, which I think I'm really good at. So that was – and with all the deathmatch experience, that certainly helped. Uh, it was obviously less violent because we're talking backyardigans now. It yeah. wasn't even a real sword fight. They were using balloon swords to, oh to put gosh. a fight point on it. Yeah, so uh, th that sequence in particular sort of – open some people's eyes and go, hey, Andrew, he can, he can animate a bit. Like, he can, he can do a complex sequence. But I hadn't yet fully broken out as a performer. I, I hadn't yet done anything to say, whoa, this, this guy has, has a unique voice in, in animation. And uh, it wasn't until Mud Pit came around. Now, Mud Pit was a, is a very little-known show. You probably never heard of it. It only ran for one season. Uh, you could say it wasn't successful because if anything runs for one season and doesn't really pick up steam, then... Uh, that's that's it. You you always want three or more, but it was a fantastic show to work on. So much fun. Uh, the reason why I don't think it worked because it was it was it was primarily based around the popularity of Guitar Hero and, Hero and Rock Band, but it came out at the time when the fad had already passed. So I'm pretty sure that's why it didn't catch on with kids. Um, but either way, uh, it did feature a character called Slime, and this is a brand new character. No one's ever seen this guy move before. And he, they said they wanted him to be a mix of Jim Carrey, The Mask, and the genie from Aladdin. And I'm like, that is the what? funnest. Yeah, that's the funnest assignment. And, I, and I've only done Backyard again so far in uh, in CG. So I was like, can I do that? Can I come up with his uh, his persona? And they gave me the, uh, the the pinnacle debut shot of Slime. And that is still to this day what I lead off my demo reel with be, because – that was what I call my breakout performance. Nice. And I want, yeah, so what I try to do these days is get every student I come across to their breakout performance as soon as possible. That's, that's a really awesome mission. Um, yeah, you said a bunch of things that I'm interested in. First of all, uh, so like one of the things that I feel conflicted about sometimes is what if I end up working on something that I'm really, like I don't personally feel attached to the show, but it sounds like, uh, you took every opportunity to kind of develop your craft, learn more technical skills, showcase your artwork, regardless of if it's like a one hit small season show type of thing. Not to say the show is bad, but maybe, you know, if it's it's like not working at Pixar, for instance. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, that's awesome. I'm gonna have to go watch uh, the slime, your your slime action demo reel. Yeah, sure, um, you can. It's a uh, yeah, it's online. So yeah, so did you apply to Guru with the intention of becoming an animation director, or did you uh, go to Guru because there was a an opportunity for to become an animator type of thing? Because it sounds like you worked your way up at Cup of Coffee. And you were you became an animation director there, and and then you went to, right to Guru after that. Is that your intention? Uh, my intention wasn't to be an animation director uh, necessarily. My intention was to just do whatever steps it takes to earn my stripes to get yeah. my to get to my ultimate goal, which is to be like a, a series creator showrunner. Uh, I've nice. always yeah, I've always wanted like my own show to to tell my own stories to the world and have that be something that lives you know, forever uh, in in entertainment. So that's still something I'm striving for. Uh, and I'm in the right place for that because there's open doors for pitching. I have pitched before, but I'm still working at getting that hit and also working at getting a lot of more creative trust because uh, the more projects you do and that are successful, the more rapport you have and and you gain more trust from your, your peers that you can handle you know, any anything that basically comes at you. So I'm still, I still feel like I'm still earning my stripes in that regard. Well, that's awesome. I can't wait to see uh, creator Andrew Stramatis in the in the credits of a show when it comes out. Yeah, me um, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you said it. It took like you you listed a bunch of things like drive, organization, desire, efficiency that kind of helped you work your way up. Were there specific technical or people skills or opportunities that you took advantage of that helped you get there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When I when I was given my first opportunity as animation director here, it was for a show called Ever After High. And that was a, a 2D series. And I had never done a 2D series before. Like I've never worked in 2D. So you might think, whoa, that's a big risk, you know, putting someone that doesn't know 2D in that position, except that it wasn't because I got stop motion under my belt. I got 3D under my belt. And the particular style that this was going to be done in Harmony was quite rig heavy. Therefore, it wasn't too different from 3D. If it was a very traditional slash, you know, the, what we call tradigital, the tradigital these days, then maybe I wouldn't have been the right choice. But because it was rig heavy and because I, I'm so, I just like to take uh, con- creative control within my realm as much as possible and run with it and, and just drive the ship and be a, be a good captain, you know. Uh, that was where the decision lied, and it was rough in the early going. I'll be honest. Like it wasn't that I, it, the medium being a problem; it was my people skills. Because I, I, I was okay at being on the walkie-talkie and and conversing with with folks at Cup of Coffee. When it came to uh, doing a a 2D series with with folks that had a lot of experience in 2D, I had to learn how to navigate um, the notes to them properly in constructive ways. And I wasn't doing that in the early going. I wasn't relaying notes or, or articulating what I wanted to see properly. And it wasn't coming across right. And my people skills were not there. So what the studio did is they brought in someone else to help support me and essentially made it clear that this person was going to show me the ropes, even though this was my job to take it and run with it. And I was like, oh, uh, how about that? Uh, I can 
now internally I was thinking, hmm, I can take this one of two ways. I can, you know, fold my arms and, and kick dirt and go, no, this is my job. I'm, I'm, I can do this. Or I can go, hmm, uh, I must be, there must be some pieces that I'm missing here. And perhaps this person does have things to offer that I can uh, grow from. So uh, this, this person was brought on and we, we developed a very, very good co co-working relationship in, in how we, we dealt with the show. And he was only there a few months, but in the, in that time I saw he, how he dealt with animators and how he relayed information and how he articulated what he wanted to see. And it was so much better than what I was doing. And I was like, Oh, okay, I get it. Um, so I, I took a lot of that from him. And, uh, after then after a certain amount of time, he moved on to, to do storyboards and basically, I was like, "No, no, no! You can't leave because we're we are the show. Like we we make this thing run." And he was like, "Andrew, you got this. You can make it run. I have all the confidence in the world that you can just you can drive the ship." And at that point, I had learned enough from him that he was he was right. I I totally took the reins, and that's when uh, I really became a, a a much more full and complete team leader and someone who could to who can drive a ship with confidence. Uh, yeah, and I want to talk. I want to talk more about that because that was one of the original reasons that I reached out to you because I heard you at the Taffy Job Fair speak about how it grew. You've developed these feedback loops, and there's a lot of one-on-ones to really help, you know, the animators become better in technical skills, but also people skills and work their way up in their career. And you've mentioned a few things about that too, like reaching their like big performance moment early on and stuff. Um, but just before we get into that, I want to go through like what is the day-to-day role like, like there's a job description or like in one aspect of an animation director, but you are living and breathing this at work. So what is it? What is the actual job like? What is your day to day on a typical day? Right. Uh, okay. Um, well, it's a bit different from studio to studio. The, the, the dynamic of how they work, the animation director or some places it's called animation supervisor, how they work with their lead animators. Now, those are called the same at any studio you go to. There's You have lead animators and your supervisor slash director, depending on what, what they're doing. Some, some studios work a system where they have an episode director, and the animation supervisor is sort of just there to execute the wishes of the ep- episode director. We work a bit differently, where uh, there's an animation director and then two team leads, generally, uh, on, a, on an animation team. So the animation director takes just top notes from the from the series director who who might say something like, you know, this character can come across more evil. Let's let's make it more evil throughout the whole episode. So that's a very broad note. And then it's up to me, the animation director, to relay that in pieces to every animator so that, okay, you have this scene with the character. The director wanted him to be more evil, so here's how we can make him more evil in this scene. And, and I would relay that individually to all the animators in a specific way to make sure that the evilness comes out and the, the request is met. Um, but yeah, the, the job of the animator, uh, animation, sorry, animation director, at least here is, um, is to be the filter between every note that comes out of any reviews or from the client. It filters through the animation director so that everything that goes to the animator is relayed in animation terms and it's very clear on what their objective is to complete that. 
what I tr always try to prevent is any notes that just go directly to the animator that are confusing. I just never want them going, Andrew, what is this? What is this note? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never seen this. I don't even know what you're talking about. Let me decipher what this is in front of you. It's always really awkward. So I was always sure to work with my coordinators and production managers to know that, hey, anything that's animation is going to be anything that's requested of my animation team. It has to filter through me so that I know that they're getting the right information and are not going to waste any time. They're not going to second guess and they're not going to get frustrated because they're going to have a clear objective. They're going to do it and move on to the next thing. Um, and that also goes with the handing out of the work. Like animation director will parse the episode and be sort of like a casting. This is my, this is my favorite part of, of the animation directing job is being like a casting director and going like, ooh, this episode has a really cool action sequence. I'm going to give this to my action guy. You know, I, I try not to typecast, um, but <laughs> you do want to lean on your, your folks who are really, really specialized and good at certain things. We got animators that are really great at snappy comedy. We got animators that are really great at, at slow and um, sincere. If it's like a, a tender moment, you know, you got your sort of tender actors who, who gra their style gravitates toward that. And then I always try to give a little, someone who is maybe like known to be a tender actor, I'll give them a crazy action scene out of the blue to see how they handle that, just to see, you know, just to give them some spice, you know? Uh, and I, I always want to even things out too. Like if I give someone a really crowd heavy sequence, one episode, someone's got to do it, right? So, and it doesn't make sense to parse a crowd between a lot of people because you want it to be consistent and efficient. So if they do one part of the crowd, they could probably copy and paste in other areas. So I might give someone a crowd heavy sequence one episode, but I'll be sure to make up for it on the next one and give them a very light, you know, a lot of single character shots in the next one to even that out. I think that, I think a good balance is, is essential. That's awesome. It sounds like there's a lot of relationship management as well as just keeping things on schedule and, and clearly communicating. But mm. are you also doing any animation yourself or any of, any of those roles as well? Like, are you doing any of the art? Yeah, uh, luckily, uh, well, my role now is I'm not animation director for a specific show anymore. I've done that for about six years here now. And here's something amazing about what's so great at working at Guru Studio is that if you have a unique ability to, to do something even a bit different and, and beyond what your original mandate is, they might even just make up a, a certain role or position for you to do that. So what we did was I'm now animation director just for the entire studio. So I'm, I'm spanned across all projects. And what I basically do is I serve as a, being a mentor for all the animators here. So that because I don't have to do the day-to-day -day of any given show, I don't have to assign it and approve it. Uh, I have lots of time on my hands to to do certain things. And that is, for, my first objective is to acquire and retain the best projects, the best animation projects. So that means like getting new material in. Right now we have Paw Patrol, of course, and that's been our backbone forever. Uh, and we have great uh, creative partnerships with Spin Master, and we have a second show called Abby Hatcher that we're we're making as creative partners with them. But we want to attract new creative partners as well, and really, really great, exciting projects, so that people want to work here and work on them, and ones that we are, are, are rewarding and we really want to do. So trying to get those new projects in is one of my first objectives. So that means doing a lot of animation tests, putting your best animation foot forward. Uh, so right now I'm doing two tests. Obviously we can't talk about what those are, but uh, we're trying to get two prospective new shows in by doing uh, roughly a one minute test on each one. So we basically have to create that from scratch. 
uh, I will handle like there's there's people in place to handle every other aspect, uh, and I'm I handle all the animation aspects. So if it's within my scope and I have the time to animate them, I might just go ahead and do that myself, which is great because I I do get to animate from time to time still, which is wonderful. But if it's too big out of my scope and I've got a million other things to do, then I decide uh, who would be great for helping us do this test. So using our existing talent here uh, and giving them opportunities to do something out of the norm and above and beyond what they would normally do, they get really excited when when you when you present something like that. Like, oh man, they they, they really can't wait to do something just different, and they're so inspiring to just watch how, how their eyes light up when they, when they can do something like that. So yeah, so acquiring and obtaining the best projects is number one and then uh acquiring and retaining the the best talent is, is the other part of, of my job so that's basically uh, helping out with a lot of recruiting trying to get new fresh new animators in to who are really hungry and really excited about our projects that's that's a big mandate of mine uh and then once they're here um obviously have enough work coming in to keep everyone busy but also hone their skills and and help them elevate their game so what I found is that you know there's plenty of things to motivate an employee to want to work at a certain place. The thing that motivates animators most is learning. They are so eager to just get better and progress. I think when when they generally decide upon moving on or doing something different, it's usually because they feel stagnant, that they feel like they're not growing. So my job, I've been my entire job pretty much is to make sure that everyone feels like they're growing and that's why we do these check-ins i check in with all the animators once a month i'm like hey how's it going uh is uh everything going okay on your show and they're like usually like yeah i'm like are you feeling challenged and they're like oh yeah I'm, are you feeling overwhelmed like are you are you like up to your ears in, in deadlines and they're usually like no like i can handle it i'm like wonderful uh and then then we watch roughly a minute of their latest work and i we, I watch it, first of all, like an audience member, uh, so I, they can just get to see someone's reaction to watching their work, because that's always rewarding for an animator. And then, uh, then I watch it as a, as a fellow animator, and I go, you know what, if someone gave me the same material, here's some decisions I might make, and how I would think about it. And therefore, they might approach their next sequence you know, with that in mind, and approach it a bit differently. And um, we go over how, how they can elevate their game every which way. Yeah, so uh, you, you said, <clears throat> that you also mentor a lot of people there is are there like some big things that you'd like to share maybe with the audience that that are like big learnings that um, oh, yeah. go for it if you yeah. want <laughs> uh, well um in my time as an animator uh, it's not enough for me to just do it and do it efficiently uh i'm someone who has to uh, apparently come up with uh, a whole process for it and then relay that to others that I just sort of fell into doing that because I've, I've really really found an, a, a really concise process for animating on TV schedules I call it kabooms which is an acronym mm -hmm. yeah yeah it stands for uh, key antic breakdown overshoot overlap motivation settle uh, I've, I've re I keep constantly updating it and revamping it and finding new ways to explain it in the easiest ways possible the most understandable ways so uh, right if I now, walk into Guru and just say kabooms, everybody's gonna point at you. Yeah, yeah, they they know that I I created that and uh, I show it to everybody who's willing to listen to it. Um, but basically, what it is is a formula for animation workflow. Like I said, uh, it doesn't matter what school you go to; they are there to teach you the software and the principles. They're not 
generally schools don't teach workflow a lot. Um, they could, and, and perhaps they should, but they don't probably want to limit someone. Cause like, what if someone has like the desire to go straight into features? My formula is not necessarily right for doing feature work. It is geared for TV series for working quickly and efficiently and also doing just really, really great work. Um, but it, it, it's not maybe not geared for, for feature type process. So for TV, it's, it's, tried, tested, and true. The people who I show it to and they hone it, they have great success working with it. So I'm happy to relay that could to you. Them. Just break it, could you just break it down briefly, each letter yeah. in terms? Sure. Um, like I said, I'm always revamping it. So I'm trying to find ways to make it more clear and easier to understand. Uh, so right now the acronym is just uh, as a checklist for the, the essentials for every movement. So you got your key poses, your breakdowns, you need uh, antics, overshoots, uh, overlap and then settle and those are the, the essentials of a movement. There's of course a myriad of, of other principles to include. You got squash and stretch, etc. So many, um, but some shows don't have squash and stretch. So is that necessarily an essential? Um, at least the illusion of squash and stretch is. You can no matter what how rigid your rig is, you can always fake it to some extent. But basically those are the, the it's like a checklist for every movement. Now the, the Kaboom's acronym doesn't tell you what order to do those things in. That's a six step process though that is the formula. So the first step is called 10 frames of significant change. And that's just, that's basically your blocking pass where you make absolutely sure that your start pose and your end pose of, of the biggest, boldest movement in your scene, that's what you do first. Your, the biggest motion, the broadest one. And you have to make sure that the, your start pose and end pose have very big contrast between them. If there's not significant change, if there's not change on every pixel of that character between those two poses, it's not yet worth animating because you're going to use fractions of that work spent all the way down the road in, uh, in creating your other poses and motions throughout the scene. So basically you, you, you do your broadest motion first which I call majors, and then uh, yeah, again, like like schools don't necessarily teach magnitudes of movement. Like how how big is a movement? There's really no measure for that. So that's what I came up with as part of this formula, uh, is major, minor, micro. So you start with your majors, and that's your biggest, boldest motions, and then you do your minors, which are like accents acting within a pose, and then you do your micros, which are just you know blinks, little eyebrow raises, little tiny nuance. So you work from big to small, and that's that's a very much a logical approach to it. Because if you just start at the start of the scene chronologically and start animating your way to the end, you might animate yourself into a corner and then not have the the proper scope of what's happening around the sequence and and possibly run into problems. So it's a very systematic way of working where you do you work big to small from the top of the hierarchy down. That sounds really helpful. Um, I mean, I, I I'm only in just finished first year, but I'm already thinking about how like I could have reapproached the projects that I did in animation with kind of that mentality instead of being like, oh, a blink should go here now uh, versus like doing the whole scene and then doing that afterwards. So, yeah, I think that's helpful. Um, so you've also, you know, worked with a lot of animators uh, from like very entry level to very senior. Uh, how do you kind of give critique in a way that they feel is constructive and helpful and actually enables them to like move on uh, forward 
making the scene better because one of the biggest things that I think is challenging with giving critiques is like doing it in a way that makes somebody feel motivated versus like, oh my gosh, I did terribly or he hates it or something like that. So I know you have a lot of experience in that. Can you just maybe go through how you give a successful constructive critique to somebody when sure. they need to change something? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of experience in that. And I, I always hearken back to my experience with Larry and uh, how how direct he was with exactly where I stood with things. And I think that's really important. What you don't want to do is mislead. Uh, you don't want to look at someone's work and go, yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's coming along when it's not. You want to be honest, but you don't want to crush them. So it's a very fine line to walk, of course, because an artist's personality personality can be quite fragile and uh, a bit on edge. So you have, you have to be, you, you have to uh, read your, you know, the, the person that you're talking to and, and seeing what expressions are coming from them as you're talking and then realizing when you're being a bit too harsh and when you should pull back. But it, it's, it's not, it, it's, you don't want to sugarcoat, but you do want to just be genuine and highlight the things that you actually do like and, and periodically throughout the whole critique process. And I, I mean by that is, uh, is don't just do a very blatant compliment sandwich. Like that's, that's something that's, that's known throughout business everywhere. And it's it, when it's really, when it's done really obviously, obviously, then it's, it's not, it's not coming across as genuine. So if you just go, yeah, it's really good, but and then just hammer them with a whole bunch of things that are wrong with it. And then they, they're just going to end up thinking what was good about it again. <laughs> like, so what I do is I, I just be very, very genuine and I tell them where things are working and where they're not sprinkled all throughout the whole thing. Just honestly, as I see them. Um, but so can you, so for, well, for me, I find it hard to be genuine sometimes because like my, sense of being honest and giving a critique can sometimes be too harsh or not even land so like for example if i'm an animator and i come to you and you're reviewing a scene and maybe i like made an expression off or like a movement was too drastic how would you specifically give that feedback to them uh i would just make sure that i lead by example by being goofy and cartoony for them so what, what I mean by that is, uh, let's say they make an expression that's off model and it's, it's unappealing. The wrong way to do that is go, this is ugly, right? <laughs> oh, that would just, no one wants to hear that. Like, no one wants to. But if you go, you know what this, this face looks like right now? And you go, ah, and you, you make like the, like the face in an exaggerated way for them. You act it out. Then they're, they, you generally share a laugh and they're like, oh, that's what I'm doing? I had no idea. You're like, yeah, yeah, it looks like this. You know, don't make it like this. Make it like this, you know? So like acting it out for them is, is it, it makes the conversation so much easier and so much uh, more friendly and, and it goes along really well. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's that's great because sometimes I'll be like, oh, I don't like it without being very specific. But I think if you act it out, especially in animation, it's very easy to act out the feedback. Totally. <laughs> versus, yeah. other, versus other industries. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's great. Um, so uh, we've talked about a lot. Uh, I mean, we've pretty much taken up a whole hour at this point. Do you have any other things you'd like to share or stories you'd like to tell or like uh, things you think would be important for somebody who's looking to get into an animation director role? Um, sure. Well, let's just say, let's talk animation in general. Um, right now I'm working on, on, a, on an ultimate chart, so to speak, of, or an ultimate 
thing that that can uh, you can refer to to answer to ask yourself all the right questions that then have to be answered to find success in animation. And it all starts with why are you here and what got you here in the first place? Because always keeping that in the forefront of your mind is going to get you through those days where you're wondering, am I even cut out for this? You know, because you might second guess yourself when you're when you're challenged to a certain point and what's going to get you through those challenges. Uh, I think it's a large part is just remembering why you got into this business in the first place and, and what got you here. I got here for a love of animation and I was given that opportunity because my parents presented that opportunity. They, they, they worked really, really hard to make sure that I could do absolutely whatever I wanted in life. Um, and, uh, you know, to put a very fine point on it, uh, my dad's in his like mid sixties right now. And, uh, he's getting, he likes to tell stories. He does, uh, not, not that he's in any kind of cognitive decline. He's sharp as a tack. But he likes to tell the same stories over and over just because he likes telling them. Hey, I'm a storyteller too. I like telling the same stories over and over too. Here's one story that he tells me every time I talk to him and I never get bored of this one. Is he goes, how's it going? I'm like, great. He's like, how's work? I'm like, good. He's like, oh, if it's good for you, then it's great. Because, you know, Andrew, I've, I've worked my whole life, you know, doing jobs that I hate. Working in scrap metal and refrigeration and air conditioning and who knows what. And I never, ever enjoyed a day of work in my life. I got up every day not wanting to go and just doing it just because that was what you had to do. Like the, the Canadian dream, as it were, for his generation was to marry your high school sweetheart at, you know, age 22, have kids and settle down, have a decent job and then retire with a pension. Things are very, very different now where you, uh, you, have, to, you, you have to take your passion and turn it into a job. And that's what he tells me every day is is so rare and why what, what I'm doing is so special because he didn't think he had that chance. The mentality back then was that he didn't. He used to like drawing, he, used to, he always tells me that he used to like drawing Fred Flintstone when he was a kid, but he never even thought to pursue that as a career because that wasn't the mentality of the generation. Like I said, it was just about finding a nice job, settling down, having kids. So, it, but he's so grateful that I got to do that because he is, I'm essentially living his dream like through him for him and and he tells me every day that how proud he is because of that and that's a huge reason of what keeps me going and keeps me motivated why I wake up at 5 a.m. every day with no alarm and I'm just ready to go ready to make cartoons because 70% of the world or so doesn't like their jobs and and what kind of existence is that you know what I mean so if you can turn your passion into into a job and have that be what gets you through the day, then you never really work a day in your life, as the saying goes. Yeah, well, I, I, thanks for sharing that story. I think that's I think that's awesome. And it, it sounds like your dad is really proud of you. So yeah, that's great. Totally. Yeah. And that's great that you pursued your passion, too. And, and it sounds like you really love your job. Um, and I'm I'm all for reflecting, too. That's why I'm I'm now going into the industry myself, because of exactly what you said, kind of asking myself why I'm here. What what do I like doing? Where do I want to be? All that stuff. So yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're if you're um, gonna make uh, if you're gonna try to emulate life, then you should probably have a good grasp on on what yours is all about. You know, uh, I think right. that's all. Yeah. Um, do you have any final thoughts? 
Uh, yeah, just uh, find me on LinkedIn because uh, I think it's a great resource for for communicating with artists and keeping tabs on. I, like my feed is crazy every day. I just see animators posting. I made this. I made this. I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. Like, so uh, I think LinkedIn's a great resource. Get in touch with me because if you're interested in working at Guru Studio, working uh, on our projects, we're hiring. Uh, so absolutely, get in touch with me. Get in touch with us. Um, feel free because uh, it's a wonderful place to work. I've been here for 12 years. It's like a second home to me. And uh, I really love help doing everything I can to inspire minds. So if you're hungry and you really like animating, this could be the place for you. So please come on and apply. Awesome. Well, thank you for stealing my thunder. I was going to say, if you want to get in touch with Andrew, oh. you can find him on LinkedIn. <laughs> I bet. That's, that's fine with me. And, and Guru, I mean, I've been away of Guru for many, many years as it's here in Toronto. And I, I've heard so well paw patrol obviously but there's so many projects over the years that i've followed so yeah it does sound like a great studio and um, totally. yeah thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me today i really really appreciate your time and all the insight and and uh all the best with uh what you're working on oh thank you so much and considering all the other people you've had on this podcast i feel very honored to be in this company so thank you so much well, okay, that's good to hear too. Thank you. All right, so uh, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Okay, bye.